All right, if you got a Bible, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24 will be our text this morning. We bring our family series to a close. The last several weeks, we've been looking at a variety of different passages uh, in the Bible as they relate to the family. And uh, this has been a part of a vision that we have uh, here at Berean for our family ministry. And so be turning there. While you're turning there, I do have an announcement that I need to make. Uh, We have a problem as a faith family. And man, is it a good problem to have. Uh, The last several months, we have noticed a significant increase in our services. Uh, The Lord has been gracious to us and allowed us to grow. Yeah, praise God for that. It's awesome. And... uh, So we are having a space problem, and we have, um, over the last few weeks, as an elder team and as a staff team, been uh, praying and talking about what the Lord would have us to do, and so uh, we are looking the first weekend of August to add a fourth service. We do not have space on Sunday morning, so we are adding a Saturday night service, and so, uh, yeah. Some of you have already signed up. I'm taking your names down right now. But um, yeah, we just, it, it'll be a, a service just like this one, contemporary service. Uh, we feel like that one, we've got to create space on Sunday morning. I know summertime hits and, you know, things get a little different, but the last few months, it's just been a steady climb and uh, praise God for that. So we're going to create some space as well as uh, we look to, to reach some new people Uh, and just continue to impact this community and people and families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, man, I'm just excited about what God is doing here. I can't tell you uh, this spirit energy uh, that I have felt already this morning, the the buzz, the whatever of what God is doing in our life. And I just feel like the the leader here just holding on to see what God's going to do. And what an amazing journey we get to be a part of. So pray with us in that. We'll be sharing a lot more details in the weeks to come, but we we wanted to go ahead and let you know that we are making plans to do that. Be patient with us uh, during this time. So, okay, Joshua 24. uh, We're going to start at verse 14 as we conclude our family series. If you're able to stand, please do so. As we honor the reading of God's Word, if you're visiting with us, we do this every week because we want the visual reminder that it's God's Word that has the authority, not me. And so let's look at the Scripture and see what it has to say. Joshua 24, verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, well, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us And our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Let's pray. 
Father, we are thankful now for this time to, um, to look at your word, to be under its authority. I do ask, Lord, that you would, uh, by your spirit, open our eyes to see and our hearts to receive the challenge that your word gives. Hit us at our very core by your spirit to be awakened, not only for our own soul, but for our families. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Lauren was 33 years old when it happened. She got up for what she thought would be a normal day, showered, grabbed breakfast, got in her car and headed to work. She worked at an office in Dallas, Texas, but she never got there. Several hours later, at about 3.30 a.m. in the morning, she found herself not in Dallas, Texas, but in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She had absolutely no idea how she got there. She had no idea why she was even in Santa Fe, New Mexico. But she was tired, so she poured it, pulled into a hotel and decided to get some sleep. When she woke up from her sleep, she noticed across the room, laying across a chair, some clothes, but she had no idea whose clothes they were. She also noticed on a table a purse. She had no idea who the purse belonged to. And this kind of panic started to set over her. She began to get very frightened, and so she jumped off the bed she ran into the bathroom, she looked into the mirror, and she didn't even recognize the face. You see, what happened somewhere between Lauren's driveway and her office, she fell into a dark fog of amnesia. And for the next year of her life, she had to do what's called memory therapy to try to get her life back, to get her relationships back, and ultimately to get her story back. And at the end of that year, of all that therapy, when she finally started to get things back in order, Lauren said something, as I read, I thought was so profound. She said, memory is not about where you put your keys. Memory gets to the essence of who you are. Imagine this morning that you forgot the things that matter most. Now listen, we all forget things from time to time. I, this morning, I'm halfway to the church. I realize I forgot something. i got to turn around and go back. You've done that. We forget things. We forget people's names. We forget birthdays or anniversaries. We forget to put the toilet seat up. Some of you even have selective memory, which goes really well with your selective hearing. But we all forget things, our password, this and that. But imagine forgetting your story. Imagine waking up one day and you have no idea who you are, no idea where you came from, and no idea what really matters. That's a frightening thing. And it's a frightening thing not just physically, it may be even more frightening spiritually. And that is exactly what Joshua is concerned about with his own people. 
He's afraid that they're going to forget. Because by the time we get to Joshua 24, the people of God, the nation of Israel, have experienced amazing success. Listen, over the last seven years, they have experienced 31 victories at the hand of God. They have received the land that God had promised them, and they're about to divide it up and be scattered. But Joshua knows before they leave that his people have a tendency to forget. To forget God, to forget their identity, to forget their story. And he doesn't want that to happen. And so he, he gathers his people, he gathers the leaders. Imagine with me all these families are gathered around and Joshua is going to get in their face and he's going to call them to a commitment that has everything to do with family. Notice in verse 14, the first thing that Joshua does here is he leads them through a time of remembrance. In verse 14, just look at two words there at the very beginning. He says, now, therefore. Now, therefore. Now, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that the word therefore always takes you back to the section right before it. So Joshua is saying, based on what I've just said... Let me say something else. But it has a tie together. Now, what was it that Joshua said before? In verses 2 through 13, Joshua starts recounting for his people the story of God's grace, the story of God's faithfulness in their life. I mean, some of you, like, instead of watching the game, you know, you watch just the highlight on SportsCenter. Or you're about to watch a movie and you see a preview that summarizes another movie. Joshua goes through 600 years of God's grace, of their story in just a matter of a few verses. He starts, for instance, with Abraham in verse 2 and 3. Do you remember when we weren't even a people? We weren't even a blip on the radar and God calls out Abraham, and he starts a nation. And then you'll remember there was this promised son, Isaac. And then from that comes Jacob and Esau. And then in verses 5 through 7, he starts talking about the exodus. Do you remember when we were in slavery? Do you remember when we were oppressed? Do you remember when we were beaten down and God set us free? God raised up Moses and we walked out and we saw the most powerful, with our own eyes, the most powerful nation in all of the earth be defeated at the hand of God. Do you remember that? It was incredible. And how we were wandering around having no idea where we'd get our next meal and all of a sudden manna just falls from the sky. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that incredible? Wasn't God good? And do you remember when he promised us the land? In fact, I was one of those spies, one of those 12 spies that went to scout out the land and we came back and, and a, 10 losers said we couldn't take it. But me and Caleb, man, we trusted God promised us this land and we believed. And, and then what happened after that? God allowed our generation to live and we crossed through the Jordan and here we are. Look around you. The promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. It is ours. Isn't this amazing story of God's grace? Look at verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities you had not built. 
Who ultimately did this? It was God. It was the grace of God. It was the faithfulness of God. Joshua knows that they have seen firsthand the power of God and the providence of God and that God every single time keeps his word. And he's not about to let them forget. And I'm not about to let you forget either because that's not just their story, people. That's our story. You see, you were, there was a time when we weren't even a blip on the radar And God sent His promised Son, Jesus, who died on the cross and freed us from the slavery of sin. And He walked us through and provided for us everything we need for life and godliness. And He's defeated our ultimate ultimate enemy of, of Satan and the grave. And one day we're going to spend eternity with Him in a land that He has prepared for us. It's not just their story, it's your story. Don't forget that. And what Joshua is saying is, man, isn't it amazing to look back and recount all the gracious things that God has done in our life? Don't you ever forget. Brian, look right here. I don't care how busy you get. I don't care what your calendar looks like. I don't care how hectic your life is. Make sure you don't ever forget what God has done for you. Build in your life the significance of remembrance of the grace story that God has brought you through. And then notice what what Joshua does here. He takes it and he tries to say, remember this story And then I want you to take this story and I want you to lodge it in your family. Big peg right there in your... You nail God's story down in your family so that they don't forget it. Let me show you an example of this that happened earlier in the book of Joshua in Joshua chapter 4. You'll notice it here on the screen. Joshua 4 and verse 5 says, Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. Now, they were probably a lot bigger than this, okay? But take this stone on your shoulder. And here's what I want you to do with it, verse 6. That this may be a sign among you. Here it is. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them of the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Joshua many times was saying, don't you understand? This was a God moment where he provided, where he was faithful, where he was gracious. Make sure that you put a stone, a milestone down that you don't forget it. Why? Because one day your children are going to look at you. One day your grandchildren are going to look at you. One day a niece or a nephew is going to look at you. One day a brother or a sister is going to look at you and say, what does that stone mean? And the story of God continues. What are you doing as a family to place stones of memorial, meaning memorial stones of the grace and faithfulness of God 
so that generations will always remember the story of grace in your family. Like it's, I know it's really cheesy. I was even thinking yesterday, um, you know, it sounds almost like VBS crafts, you know, but even taking rocks or stones or whatever, be creative and putting them in your family or in your life that every time you walk by them, I remember when God answered that prayer. I remember when God saved my husband. I remember, I remember, I remember, and the story of God in your life keeps on going. That's what Joshua was saying. The next generation will forget if we don't become intentional to pass on the story. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Do you know who ultimately is the fulfillment of Joshua? Yeshua? Jesus. Jesus, just like Joshua called his leaders together, one night called his leaders together in an upper room. And what Jesus did is he took the Passover elements, this bread and and this wine that represented the salvation of God in the Exodus, and he said something that made every eye in the room go, what? What did he just say? I would have loved to have been in the room to see the, the response of the disciples because Jesus said, this bread, it's my body. This wine, that's my blood. And I want you to, say it with me, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, don't ever forget what I'm about, what I'm about to do for you on the cross. Don't ever forget that I am about to lay down my life, God, in the flesh for you. Don't ever get over it. Don't ever forget it. And I've given you something in the Lord's Supper, and there's many other things, baptism, that are the constant reminder of God's salvation in our life. Don't ever forget the gospel. And look here, Berean, as long as I'm your pastor, I'm not going to let you. I'm going to be in your face with the gospel. Because I don't care where we go in the days ahead, what's going to be front and center is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we forget that, memory is not about where you put your keys. Memory is about the essence of who you are. We forget the gospel. We forget our identity. Paul knew this as well. Last verse, we'll move on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the what? The gospel. That is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That I preach to you which you received and in which you stand. So look right here. Paul is saying this. I spoke the gospel to you. You believed in it. You're even standing in it. But guess what? I still have to remind you of it. Because remembrance does something. Remembrance does something. It's not just, oh, okay, I remember. Just like you wouldn't on an anniversary say, I acknowledge we're married. Okay, and then go on. That's not, like, that's not really the point that you just intellectually affirm something. Remembrance moves you. Look at what Joshua goes on to say in verse 14. By the way, all of that was just the now therefore, okay? Now the fun really begins. Now, therefore, with all this story of God's grace, fear the Lord. Do you see? The knowledge of God's grace moves you to do something like, first of all, fear the Lord. What does he mean? Like, be in awe of God. Stand 
in complete reverence of your little puny life and yet the enormous love and grace that he has for you. Praise God that he loves puny people. I'm nothing in this whole story, and yet God has been gracious over and over and over and over and over again for you, so stand in awe. Listen, you can't hear about the grace of God and yawn. You need to write that down. You can't stand it and just, oh, man, man when, you, when you really, really get your mind around what Jesus did for us on the cross and, and rising from the dead, we're just kind of speechless. This reverent honor, fear of God. But knowing God's grace also moves us to serve Him. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. In other words, when you understand your story and the story of God's grace, it moves you not only to be in awe, it moves you to service. Now, this is, this is big. You remember several weeks ago when we talked about giving? It was like you don't give out of duty or obligation. You give because you're motivated by grace. You don't serve because it's like, okay, God did so much for me. I got to, you know, just tough it up and do it for him. No, when you understand, when you're in awe, when you fear God, when you're amazed at what God did in your life, it's like, it's not that I have to serve, it's that I get to serve. God invited me in to his kingdom work, to his story. Are you kidding me? How in the world would I turn that down if I really understand grace? Do you see, this is moving them to fear and to service. And then one more. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, when you really understand the grace of God, you don't want any other God in your life. When you understand the grace of God, you don't want any other God in your life. I don't want to worship sex and beauty. I don't want to worship money. I don't want to worship power and prestige. I don't want to worship myself. I don't want to worship my family. I want to worship God. I don't want any other God in my life. I don't want any other idol in my life because I am so amazed at who God is that there will be no other gods before him. And you're like at this point, I thought this was about the family. You know, what does this have to do with family? You know what verse I'm moving towards. What's the famous verse? Uh, but you, you don't just jump there. You got to get the train of thought, which is here's the amazing story of God's grace. It moves us to be in all of him, to serve him and to want no other gods before him. And then notice what Joshua calls them to do. Verse 15. Now, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And here it is. You've got a, a little painting on your wall at home, some of you that have this on it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why don't you just say that with me? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's where Joshua ends this. He's, he's like, here it is. Follow me, follow me. Be in awe of the grace of God. Be moved to stand in awe, to serve him, to cast away all your other gods. And where are you going to lodge this commitment, this passion, this love for him? Right in the middle of your family. 
As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, Joshua here is like a bulldog, man. I mean, he's getting in their face. I imagine like, you know, spit flying and snot and and just, man, he's all up in their grill. Choose who you're going to serve. I mean, he's not like some little sissy, little dog, you know, like this. Like, that's not Joshua. No offense to those of you who have those little dogs. I mean, actually, offense to those... No, I'm, I'm kidding. But man, Joshua's like he's in their face and he's saying, I don't care about the polls and I don't care about the culture and I don't care what, what everybody else says. I, I don't know about your family, but my family's going to serve the Lord. We're totally committed to God. To what degree it is in our power, we are going to serve the Lord because we have made our choice. And our choice is as long as there is oxygen in our lungs and blood flowing through our veins, we are committed to God and we are committed to his work. I am sick and tired, Joshua says, of the powder puff, fluffy, pansy, patty cake, Christianity. Man, I'm drawing a line in the sand and putting a sword in the ground. Today is the day. Choose. Are you over there or are you over here? And as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Praise God. So Joshua, man, is just, man, he's challenging them to put all focus towards in the context of their family to love God. And we've been, listen, I've been bulldogging it for the last few weeks, like challenging you in this area of family. In fact, remember where we started several weeks ago um, about the domino effect of your life? That your life right now is going to leave an impact. It's not a matter of an impact, it's a matter of what kind of impact. On faces you'll never see, names that you'll never know. That there's a generation to come that you can impact right now, though you'll never even be around to see it. That's the domino effect. This one never understands the impact that it has on the ones that will come. But nevertheless, it's where it starts. And then we challenge you out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 about making sure that you're aiming at the right target. That Deuteronomy 6 says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then where does Moses go? To the family. That that would spill out over into your family. And here's, here's the, the really cool thing is that many of our families here at Berean are getting it. They're buying in. They're not perfect. They're broken. They're struggling. But they are pursuing this with all that they are. And this morning, I want you to hear from one of those families from right here at Berean uh, who share a testimony of personal renewal that has now changed the whole pathway of their family. Uh, listen to the Bonigan family. When I was younger, we'd go to church, but it was more to, um, for show, I guess. My mom was always telling me about Jesus and God and then I'd go to church, and it'd be totally opposite of what I, she was teaching me. The household that I grew up in, it was, like Kelly said, it was, it was mostly a, a tradition that just everybody would go to that church, and it, it wasn't enjoyable at all. And 
in my in, in the household that I grew up in, Jesus's name was not hardly ever spoken. I don't recall of it ever being spoken. Like I never really had a personal relationship with Jesus. I never knew that you actually could have a personal relationship with him. I would drop my son off at his religion class at our old church, and I would sit in the parking lot reading the Bible. I actually went home and researched my own religion because I was naive about what we were learning and everything just came into place. My jaw hit the floor and I was just like, whoa. All my life I was hearing one thing, but this was the truth. And it was the Bible speaking to me. Right around, I think it was like April of last year when, when that Bible series came out and I saw that and that was, that completely opened my eyes to everything. Like it was, as I, I phrased it, that it was my aha moment where things just made sense to me. And I just, I wanted to know more and read more. And I went out and got a Bible and I actually started reading it, something in the past that I would have never thought that I, I would have done. I talked to my brother the other day and told him about the, the stuff that's been happening. And he's, his response was just like, did I, did I call the wrong number? Cause you don't sound like the person that I know. And I'm like, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Just something inside of me has come alive and I can't stop talking about it. I just, I wanna share it with everybody. And I want everybody to experience what I'm going through. It's just kind of like one of those things where it's like, wow, it actually happened to me. My search was on for a new church and my mom actually said, go to Berean. She's never been to Berean, but for some reason something told her to go there and we were just blown away. like. I was just thinking, finally, I'm somewhere where somebody is getting it. He's he's preaching the truth, and it was just, it was just awesome. We got out to the car, and I remember Kelly asking me, "How did how how did you like it?" And I looked at her, and I was like, "I'm, I'm kind of mad." And she's like, "Well, why are you mad?" And I'm like, "I don't want to leave. <laughs> I want to go back inside the church, and I want to hear more, and I want to learn more." I never thought you could actually have that much fun going to church. And there's there's no rush to hurry up and get people out and hurry up and get people in. Just, it's it's like a big family at Bergen. The, the feeling that she's gotten and from my, as you could put it, my awakening, um, just, it, it makes me wanna just continue to teach the kids what it is that, what I'm constantly, what I'm still learning, but I just, I wanted, embed it into them also and I, I, I see that already they're they're really enjoying knowing about it and I just want to we just want to keep that going and bring them up with knowing that they can actually have a relationship with Jesus amen amen You see, as I hear that testimony, what, what I imagine is that there was a direction the family was going on, and eventually they just said, no more. And they just moved out of the way and said, now there's a totally different direction that our family's going to go. A totally different focus in our life because we have personally become excited about Jesus, and that's going to be a difference in our kids. 
And now our family, regardless of what our history may be, our family now is going to be committed to serve the Lord. What about you? What about you? Some of you, listen, you're like, man, I'm just too old for this. I've had some of you actually come up to me and say, boy, I wish I'd have had this series 20 years ago. I want you to come right here. Joshua, when he said this, was 110. Raise your hand if you're 110 this morning. Oh, good. Okay, six of you. I'm surprised you could raise your hand. Don't tell me you're too old. Don't tell me there's too much that's happened. Don't tell me there's too much history. You start now. Today. Forget the past. You can't change it anyways. But Joshua is saying, I may be 110 years old, but I'll tell you this, till I can't breathe anymore, I have drawn the line in the sand for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Now let me show you as we close what happens if you don't do this. This is one of the fuels of this vision and what's driving us behind this series. Just turn like two pages over to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Let me show you how this turns out and then we'll, we'll close. Judges chapter 2, look at verse 6. It says, when Joshua dismissed the people... The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. In other words, man, they did it. In fact, if you go back, we won't, but if you went back and read their response after Joshua says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we read it earlier. Their response is, far be it from us to not serve the Lord. And they committed and things were good, and they prospered, and they flourished. But then look at verse 10, and this should frighten you. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. In other words, they passed away. And there arose another generation after them who did not know. Did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. They forgot. Somewhere between the driveway and the office, Israel fell into a fog of forgetfulness. And the as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord became and a generation arose that didn't even know who He was. Don't think for a moment that can't happen. It certainly can so all the more the sense of urgency for us now to commit our lives to Him and to commit our families to Him. That while the culture is pulling at our family, we will say no more. That the gospel will pull our family. That maybe we've been lacking intentionality and we say if, if we're not intentional, if we don't lead, Satan will. And the need for Joshua's men, women, teenagers, to the degree that they can stand up and say, enough is enough. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I leave you with this. His name was Turner Gleason. He lived during the Great Depression. He was a musician. 
And so he traveled quite a bit. One time when he was out of town, his wife was invited to go to those old revivals. Remember those old tent revivals with the sawdust floor? She went to one of those and she put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Turner got home from his trip, she begged him to go to one of the services with, with her and he refused. And, but finally, she wouldn't be quiet about it. So he said, okay. He went and he was critical the whole time. He had a very bitter spirit, but little did he know that the Spirit of God was drawing him. When the service was over, his wife said, let's go. And he said, wait a minute, I'll be out in just a moment. He hunted down the speaker. And though there was a long conversation, ultimately Turner Gleason gave his life to the Lord. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's an awesome story, but it doesn't just end there. Turner Gleason had eight children. Remember, this is the Great Depression. He received a letter in the mail one day that a family member, true story, had died in England and had left him an inheritance of $4.3 million. The catch was he couldn't sell the estate. He had to go live on the estate if he wanted to receive all that inheritance. So Turner Gleason did his research and he looked if there were any Bible-believing churches, any truth-speaking, gospel-centered churches there, and he couldn't find any. It was rather secluded, and he wasn't going to be able to raise his family the way he wanted to raise his family, so he wrote back this, quote, I can't afford $4.3 million because I have to raise my family in truth. Now, I read that and thought, man, for $4.3 million, you could build a lot of Bible-believing churches. <laughs> but that's not the point. That's totally not the point. Turner Gleason made a decision for his family, and just a few years ago, they had a family reunion. There were over a hundred people there. Of his eight children, all of them knew the Lord. Four of them were in ministry. Six of his grandchildren were in ministry. And just before he died, they asked him, why? Why? Why did you give all that up for your family? Here's what he said. It's just one of the many decisions a man has to make to do what's best for his family. Look at me, Brian. If we don't say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, trust me, there will arise a generation that doesn't know Him. So I'm challenging you, as Joshua challenged his people, to commit this day to make the story of grace, the story of God, central for our family so that it will not be forgotten because trust me, Memory is not about where you leave your keys. Memory is about the essence of who we are. Let's pray. God, thank you for men like Joshua who are willing to challenge and speak the truth. Very convicting. And I know many of us, even this morning, would, would just feel like, where, where do I even start? And, and I pray this morning we would start by running to grace, running to You, God, and just saying, it first starts with me committing my life to You and being sold out for You. And then I can move on to the relationships in my life. And so, Lord, this morning, would You bring that conviction and that challenge 
at home, at home in our heart and at home in our home. Do it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.